Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight, Apple at a crossroads as the tech giant pivots from hardware to services are the best days behind this stock. Plus, transport's in trouble, sinking back into a correction. But there is one name in the group the chartmaster says is a screaming buy. But first, we start off with the markets. And it was just last week that stocks were hitting fresh record highs. Angels were singing, and it looked like there was nothing stopping this rally. But it was a snap back to reality today as the Dow sinks triple digits, down nearly 200 points at the lows of the session. The market rewinding as the Fed rate cut hopes are dampened. Wall Street is getting more bearish, as Morgan Stanley says, to sell stocks. And now Eurobanks are in turmoil as Deutsche Bank takes drastic measures to restructure. So did this market just come too far too fast? And are we about to see a stock rewind? Guy Dami. Well, I missed you, number one. It's like Miss a, you a month. Karen's back. Karen's back. Everybody's back, back now. We're all here. She's all here. In the, in the match. Isn't that a nice matchy, palette? Matchy. <laughs> What's wrong, Dan? I haven't seen you in a That's month, and you're Dan's already face. discounting That's just his face. I'm loving the Syracuse Orange. Way to, way to represent, people. That's Listen, it. I think stocks have gone too far too fast. Absolutely. But I thought that, you know, probably 250, 300 Dow points ago, maybe 75 S&P handles ago. With that said, you know, the Morgan Stanley, they've been negative. I think they're going to be right. The thing on that list that concerns me the most, believe it or not, is Deutsche Bank and European banks in general. I do think the market's banking way too much on a Federal Reserve that is now, I th- you know, people think the Fed controls the market. I think the market controls the Fed. But I think we're at a level now where if you've enjoyed these gains, you've got to be taking money off the table. Yeah, so you just mentioned that market expectations about a rate cut. We know that the, obviously Fed fund futures are pricing in a near certainty of a July cut. And now it's whether it's 25 bips or 50 bips. And I'll just mention this, that, you know, the market has obviously run ahead of that. So what does that do to expectations going forward? And the fact is, if the market is going to bully the Fed into this sort of move along with the president, then we, cut, we come into a really difficult phase of what happens next in this bull market because it then becomes all of a sudden fairly artificial. There's a lot of uh, economists that we would bring on and they would say, hey, listen, this is good. The stock market can go up as we're in that rate hiking phase that we're in over the last few years. Um, So to me, I think it puts us in a very bad spot. One last thing about European banks. If you just overlay the SX70, we talked about it last week, it's probably one of the worst looking charts. The Euro stock bank index versus the 10-year bond right there, the yield. You look at that over the 10 years and you say to yourself, there's some real problems there. We know the 10-year Bond yield is negative. I, mean, I think we need to just take a breath here. On, on like the Deutsche Bank news is 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 concerning on many different levels. But the Deutsche Bank news is a restructuring that's about their global capital markets business and retrenching into core businesses. It's look, Deutsche Bank's been a mess in global capital markets. We know they have a big derivative book. We know they have certainly uh, basically eviscerated more balance sheet equity than any bank probably of all time um, outside of the ones that are no longer with us. But this isn't new news. And that announcement to me is not about the sudden vulnerability about the European bank. Banking index. In fact, uh, I think if you look at European banks, I think they're as well capitalized as they have been in a long time. I don't think we are on the verge of a European banking crisis. Look at Greece, which is up 44% year to date, just elected a new prime minister. I'm not going to tell you that Europe is great, 
But to think that tomorrow Europe's our problem, I think despite the negative yielding bonds, uh, the biggest issue is our Fed. And the biggest issue is we're going to get more Fed over the next two weeks than we've probably digested in a long time. When you say more Fed, Fed info or Fed cuts? Or I, I, mean, I mean um, Fed, Fed headlines. We're going to have Powell four days this week, effectively. We've got a huge Fed meeting next week, but we've got minutes from the last one. We've got a testimony tomorrow. We've got all kinds of dynamics. So, yes, I think I agree with everybody that, uh, look, the market is, is basically moved lower on expectations of a Fed that, based upon Friday's payroll number, does not need to be aggressive here. Karen. Yeah, you know, I've been afraid of this market for a while. And I think, you know, in the last couple of weeks the, the, from the G20, there was a nice bump there. And that hasn't been resolved as far as I know, right? To me, that is a huge issue still to come. And we'll start to see earnings. I'm more pessimistic on earnings than I have been in a long time. And so I don't, I don't even know if it makes much difference if the Fed cuts 25. I, don't, I think 50 is off the table, given that, that jobs number. So I, I don't know that a 25 basis point cut really makes that much difference. Versus zero? Do you Versus think it makes a difference if the Fed doesn't do day anything? Day one, yeah, I think it makes a difference. Uh-huh. But after that initial, you know, I guess, they'll, I guess they'll trade up if they cut 25 basis points. After that, I don't really know but that it makes much difference. But for the market, for earnings, you're saying. You're saying that, that, cons- that rate cut's not going to do anything for earnings. But for the market and the dynamics. That's the story for me. I'm concerned about the market. I'm concerned about about the, the uncertainty of the tariff situation has created a pullback in spending and that we're going to see that. So I'm concerned about that. This, t- I mean, this market movement today, it's nothing. It's just a little bit of noise on a, what has been a very big run. I have to say, kudos to Guy, who has been all over Deutsche Bank for, pro- it seems like, well over a year, saying trouble, trouble, trouble. It's as it's if they fired him. Yeah. But just real quickly, though, I think you're kind of sugarcoating what's going on. Part of this restructuring is also putting some bad assets, lots of bad assets, into a bad bank. 25% of its total balance right. sheet. And, and, and I just think that, you know, We've that's good bank, bad bank before. We have, and it's actually worked out here in the States when we did it with right. some of these because we they went massively to recapitalize these. They took these government bailouts. It, was, it had to work, okay? And the problem that you have with these negative yielding rates, we're just having more sovereign debt that's going negative yielding, Tim. It's not getting smaller. And if you look at those just, and maybe that's too simplistic to overlay the equity of those banks and, and the 10-year bun yield, but it's not So good. you're saying this not is this a canary now. in the coal that's mine? Fair. That's what I'm saying. That's and let me make one other point, because we all sound really bearish, okay? You're not watching this. We're not your broker or your hedge fund manager or anything like that. We're not trying to keep you invested in the market. We're not putting allocations out there. We're not strategizing. We're just basically trying to say these are the things that could go wrong. And if no one's going to tell you that, then you're doing this whole thing wrong. And that's my personal view about it. So if we're going to start Sounds trying like to pick. you feel a little bearish today. No, I, I feel like it's really important for people to talk about these things. I feel like it's important not to sugarcoat them because I think what happened today with Deutsche Bank is significant. Well, are you, are you optimistic about earnings season? Not really. Okay. Um, I'm, optimistic, right. I'm optimistic about a world where I, I think the, the, the global economy, but certainly the U.S. economy where the Fed is operating today, um, is, is not in a place where I think if we have much lower rates and we have a Fed that, if anything, is a tailwind for market, um, I think in the short to medium term, that's more important than earnings. And I've, I've seen this movie so many times over the last 10 years. And, but back to what Dan is saying, look, the, the, the 70 basis point fall in global bond yields is something that equity investors should be very concerned about because I don't think it's sustainable. Uh, and I think lower rates have been a boom for equity markets for many different reasons, including just how you compute the discount rate of owning of, of an equity valuation. So um, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned at these levels, but I'm not concerned about the systemic damage, even though 
it is out there. It's just, to me, it's not tomorrow and it's not next week and it's not today's headline. Yeah, see, and I, I hear what Tim said. And I didn't, I didn't mean to say that Deutsche Bank, something changed. Nothing changed except you saw the headline over mm-hmm. the weekend into today. That's what changed. But, I, you know, I'm probably in a minority that thinks there almost by definition has to be some systemic risk associated with Deutsche Bank in their derivatives book. There has to be counterpart risk out there. Again, if this was a U.S. bank, which it's not, obviously, I think we talk about them every day instead of every five or six days, which I think is interesting. I mean, I'm not suggesting it's Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers, but to think that there aren't far-reaching effects negative in terms of what's going on at Deutsche Bank, I don't know if there is, but I, I can categorically say there's definitely, you know, it's not is or isn't, but it's not, it's, you can't be, you can't be uh, completely confident that the answer is no, there's no systemic risk. So in a nutshell, you four are bearish to varying degrees. Well, yes, but let me just say, I'm still long. I'm always long. Right, right. That's always yeah. going to be my bias. Uh, structurally cautious, tactically optimistic. Um, and and I just one more thing about Deutsche and what the guy's talking about, because he's talking about variable. But it, if, if Germany... Europe's biggest economy and Deutsche, their biggest bank, um, are under a lot of pressure. It means there's going to be a lot of union, a lot of unity in the European Union, which basically is controlled by the Germans. So that's very good for bailout and policy and everything that the stock markets love. All right. Our next guest says the recent rally has been propped up by hopes of a rate cut, but investors shouldn't chase stocks here. Let's bring in Mark Yusko, CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Morgan Creek Capital Management. Mark, always great to speak with you. Hey, Melissa. Great to be with you. You know, we've called you the man who called the 20% sell-off in the fall, and and that was right, but here we are back close to record highs. So where do you see the dangers now? Yeah, look, it's it's almost precisely nine months since we had that conversation, and and I made your jaw drop a little bit saying markets could fall 40%, and we only got half of it, and now we're right back to near levels where we were in October, about flat for that period, actually flat all the way back to January of 2018, adjusted for inflation. So I, look, I think we're as overvalued as we were then. I think the risks are to the downside, just what you guys were just talking about. And I think the one thing that people are really making a mistake about is they're saying that an interest rate cut is a good thing because they can use a lower discount rate, but they're not looking at the reason why the Fed would cut rates which is that earnings and growth are going to be a disaster. So you're going to be discounting a lower number. You get a lower number. Unless you believe that the, that the next cut is going to be an insurance cut, um, that, it's, that things yeah. are not a disaster right now. I mean, you're a bear, so you may think that things are, are a disaster, but there are plenty of people out there who think, you know, fundamentally things are, are all right. We are seeing some softening in the data here in the United States and softening certainly around the world, um, yeah. but, but things aren't going off a cliff. Well, I I don't know if you'll find anybody who will really stand up and say that earnings are going to be great and have a strong recovery. Even those that were saying we're going to have a second half recovery are now saying, oh, maybe it'll be 2020. So I don't know that you're going to get anybody to stand up and say, hey, things are going to get awesome really quickly. I think all of the economic data has been very disappointing. GDP has been disappointing. The uh, Fed now, the Atlanta Fed uh, GDP now is down to 1.3 percent for Q2. Uh, that's way below what people were saying, 3 and 4%, even six months ago. And I think earnings season is going to be the classic example of you take the bar off the rack, you put the bar on the ground, you jump over the bar, and then you claim you're the world high jump champion. So, Mark, what's the catalyst for this move to the downside? I mean, you can yeah. make an argument the catalyst in 
October, September and October was Powell being as hawkish as any Fed chair has been yes. since, uh, you know, you go back 30 or 40 years. Is that yep. the, is the next catalyst an earnings season that disappoints and that's why we roll over? Look, I think that's that's the really, really great point that that what we're missing now is the catalyst. There clearly was the catalyst last fall was was the hawkishness and Powell saying he was going to be his own man and then doing the Powell flip flop. But I think today you were just talking about it. Deutsche Bank could be that canary in the coal mine. There are big risks on their derivative book uh, that people aren't really talking about. And look, I call it the National Bank of Germany for a reason. It's too big to fail. It will be bailed out. And the market may short term like that. But just like in the U.S. bailout in, in late 2007, remember when they banned short selling banks and they tried to save all the banks? They went down 80, 90 percent from there, from there. And they were already down 50 or 60 percent. So I think this could be the beginning of of a really tough period. And give me the upside. I mean, somebody give me an upside reason for, to get excited. Mark, it's Karen. Let me just throw out one, even though I'm somewhat bearish, a China trade deal, right? Yeah. That, that is a case for the upside. What's your thoughts on whether that happens? And if it does, what does that mean for the market? I, I, two things. One, I think the China trade deal has been priced in four times already. So I think it's uh, buy the rumor, sell the news. I think the second problem is there will be no China trade deal. I was with uh, a guy who runs the China Beige book and uh, at a conference a couple weeks ago, we were speaking together and he said, look, two months ago, there was a deal that China would sign and Trump backed away. And he said, there is no deal that the U.S. can put in front of China. They will sign today because they're going to make them admit wrongdoing and they're just not going to do it. So I think that's going to be a big disappointment when people realize that the hope and remember, hope is not an investment strategy. It's a four-letter word that the hope of a trade deal just isn't going to happen. Well, some might d disagree on the basis of a political cycle in which Trump wants to be reelected. We'll put that aside for now, Mark. Yep. We have you, yep. so we got to ask you about Bitcoin. Where do you see it going from here? <laughs> Does it reclaim it. old no, again, highs? Uh, well, I, we're definitely going to reclaim old highs. And what Soon? I think people miss about Bitcoin... <laughs> or eventually. Soon or eventually. Well, look, here's the crazy thing. Over the past year... Bitcoin is up 70, 70%. Everybody thinks it's in this bear market. Over the past 12 months, uh, I'm sorry, actually nine months since we were together on uh, October 7th, it's up 70%. It's the best performing major asset class this year. And remember, we were also together December, I think, 13th uh, on uh, halftime, not halftime, but on, on your show in the, in the afternoon. And we talked about it, 3,100, is that the bottom? And and uh, look, that's a long way below here. And I think we're in the next parabolic move. Uh, that will take us probably into the 30,000 level uh, before we get another little correction. And then look, there's a great path. And I just did a webinar today talking about the path to, you know, 100,000 by 2021 is, is really quite easy to draw out. Hmm. All right, Mark, we're going to leave it there. Great to speak with you. Thank you. Right. Mark, you Morgan Capital.
All right. How do we trade this, Dan? I think Karen makes a good point about that thing that could turn the sentiment. If there was a comprehensive trade deal that no one's expecting, if everyone's priced it not to happen, and then you have this insurance cut or maybe one or two, then you set the stage for a market that's been hovering around 2900 for 18 months at the top end, and that becomes support. And then you get that launch that a lot of people, I think Larry Fink was calling a melt-up or something like that. That could be the ingredients for this thing taking off from here. All right. Coming up, Wall Street turns sour on Apple, now the most bearish in decades are the best days behind the tech behemoth. Plus, transport sinking, but the chartmaster says there is one name in the group that's about to take off. And later, tonight is the home run derby. So who better to step up to the plate and give us a home run stock than Guy Adami? We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple dragging down the Dow today, getting a downgrade as the tech giant stands at a crossroads, transitioning from hardware to services. Josh Lipton's got the details from San Francisco. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, the team at Rosenblatt coming out with a big call on Apple, downgrading that stock to a sell, saying the company faces fundamental deterioration over the next 6 to 12 months, that new iPhone sales will disappoint. While just 7% of analysts rate Apple a sell, that is the most since 2001. So how do bulls respond? Well, Wedbush takes the other side of this bet, says that after conducting its own checks in Asia, they are incrementally more positive on iPhone demand. Yes, overall smartphone demand is challenging but they saw a slight uptick in their words out of Apple suppliers. Needham seconds that bullish call, adds Apple to its conviction buy list, says it's transitioning from a company valued on hardware to one based on subscriber and services growth. Apple finishing in the red today, though it's still up more than 25% this year. For Apple investors, the question is what demand is like for that bread and butter iPhone franchise and how continued U.S.-China trade tensions are impacting the company. Investors are going to have a better sense when Apple next reports results on July 30th. Switching gears, there was also talk today on CNBC about Steve Jobs. Walter Isaacson on Squawk Box saying that Jobs, in moments of anger told him that Tim Cook was not a product person. That's tough criticism, though Cook has overseen the company's move into brand new product categories like the watch, AirPods, and services. After the exit of design chief Johnny Ive, two design veterans are going to be reporting to COO Jeff Williams, who did lead the development of the watch. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh. Thank you. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Uh, Let's trade this. Apple, Tim, I, I just think that, first of all, there's, there's nothing new that came out today in either of these notes, with all due respect, as we like to say. God bless their heart. Really? Know, they say I, I'm not coming at the analysts here. Services I'm just revenues talking, are going to decline for the first time in four to six quarters. Well, I, I, you know, maybe that's new, although I think a lot of people question. Dan's talked about this, that some of those service numbers were kind of front-loaded by you know, replacement screens and things like that that are you know, not necessarily a regular revenue stream. Um, what, what I would just say is this is a company that's outperformed the S&P by 17% this year. This is a company that tends to swing from overly, uh, um, the market dynamics are overly ebullient and overly cynical. Uh, and we're at a place here where the iPhone shipments is, is in your face every day. It's not going to be good. You have to believe that services is the future of the company. 
and you have to believe in a services blended multiple that makes the the entire multiple of the company closer to 20 percent which on a um, 20 times uh, uh, some, yeah sorry 20 times thank you Karen? I, I mean, I'm long. I'm sort of lukewarm on it. I feel like that, that bearishness is out there, and I feel like it's sort of reflected in the stock. I don't think that... Uh, I, I got to say, though, kudos to coming out with a sell, right? Put yourself out there and saying, all right, we're going out on a limb. Yeah. Um, Although the analyst's price target seemed like it was a sell. To, I mean, it was 150 right? And, and the, without it being a sell. And, without and, it being a sell, right. yeah. Well, they had it, yeah. Um, but... So I, I don't think it's I don't think there's a ton of bullishness priced in here. So I'm staying long it, even though I'm not wildly bullish on the market. I'm staying long. Yeah. So I think what the company often like likes to point investors to the fact that their services business, what it's growing at, it's like a Fortune 50 company's revenues. You know what I mean? And it's growing off of a massive installed base. The problem here, the installed base is not growing, and it may never really grow again. And if you do have a massive deceleration in that revenue of the services, then you get to yourself and you say, okay, well you're saying best case scenario you see 20 times. Here's a stock that's already trading 17 and a half times, and if they do go like X growth in their services, this stock's going to be much lower. It just is because we know that they're not going to be growing units anytime soon and then you're going to have to wait for all that to happen. The, the story's still intact. You know, I mean, it's still they own the high end, they own all the margin, you know, that sort of thing and they're going to have a better mar- uh, margin blended rate but it may be off a smaller installed base going forward. You know, it's interesting. I'm not suggesting anybody here but a lot of people I think think that Apple just goes basically straight up over the last 10 years and to, to a large extent, I guess you could say there's some truth there. But then if you look, if you really get granular, this stock moves. The ebbs and flows in this stock have been significant, especially over the last 18 months. We've just gone from 170 beginning of June to 205. That's a pretty significant move. So my point is, if I think the broader market's going to roll over, I have to believe that Apple will as well. And if you're looking for a level, the 50% retracement of that June low and recent high comes in around $187, Mel. All right. For more on Apple and what is next to the tech giant, go to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. We see first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Mayday. Mayday. Transport sinking back into correction. But the chartmaster says there's one name that's taking flight. And yes, that's a hint. He'll tell us what has him so excited. Plus, it's been home run after home run for Guy Adami's fast pitches. And in honor of tonight's home run derby, he's stepping up to pitch the stock he thinks is about to hit it out of the park. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Transport's taking a tumble today and falling back into correction territory. For more on what's behind this move, let's get to Bob Bassani down at the New York Stock Exchange. Hey, Bob. 
Hello, Melissa. Good to see you. As always, you know, transports are 10% off of their old highs. They hit that way back in September, but the winners and the losers are not evenly distributed. The story of transports in the last nine months is a story of sectors. First, airlines and railroads, mostly up but not all of them, and logistics and shippers all down or underperforming. The problem is simple. Trade and tariffs, and to a lesser extent, a global slowdown, which of course is partly related to trade and tariffs. Now, the leading shipping and logistics firms have gotten clobbered on this trade uncertainty and have really not recovered to any appreciable extent since the concerns got serious back in October of last year. So if you look at FedEx, you look at J.B. Hunt, UPS, C.H. Robinson, they're all down 15 percent to nearly 40 percent. Look at that in the case of FedEx since that September high. Airlines have been split with Southwest and American down, but those are on Boeing troubles, a specific issue. Others like JetBlue or Delta are mostly flat to slow slightly to the upside. Elsewhere, you contrast that with the U.S.-based railroads that they recovered very quickly after that December drop. So Norfolk Southern, Kansas City Southern, uh, CSX, Union Pacific, they're all up more than 20 percent this year and well off of their lows. Put it all together, and since transports hit their September high, they are down about 10 percent. That's the white line there. The Dow Industrials up nearly 3 percent. Back to you, Melissa. Thank you, Bob. Bob Sonny at the New York Stock Exchange. Guy Adami, yes. I know you fancy yourself sometimes to be a Dow theorist. Well, I, you know, I was around when they came <laughs> when up they with, it. Yes. with it. You're at least a theorist. <laughs> but what does it tell you when, when the transport index is so divided in performance when it comes to subsectors? And I'm not trying to be glib here, but I think 50 years ago it told you a lot more. I don't think nearly today the, the, the overall market is as reliant on the transports as they once were. With that said, I don't think you can have a healthy rally without both the transports and the Russell. And right now, you have neither. So it just that, that's one more arrow in my bearish quiver. So if you're measuring the Bob did a great job of, of kind of breaking it down, because if you're measuring the transport purely as, as rails and, and, and airplanes and things that move stuff around, um, you're, you're probably missing that FedEx is 10 percent of that index. And some people might throw Boeing, although I'd make that an industrial. Uh, I, what I want to say is that FedEx, for reasons that I think are somewhat company specific, and this is execution and operations, has had a lot of trouble for the last three quarters. Some of it's been the economy. But a lot of it's in their ability to handle bottlenecks in, in their own infrastructure. So um, airlines look, I think, very cheap relative to the asset class. Uh, and if you look at the rails, while uh, pricing and actually uh, rail turnover is down year over year, it's not a disaster. All right. Our next guest says there is one name in the transport space that's about to take off. That's a hit. Chartmaster Carter Worth is at the plasma to break it down. Carter, take it Hi away. Hey, guys. Yeah, Delta is the subject of the day. Good day for airlines in general. Uh, but Delta is the big one. It's the important one. It is, of course, uh, by assets and market cap, the biggest airline in the world. In any event, the setup for often a great breakout is the precondition of underperformance. And we can check off that box, meaning here's Delta in 2016, 17, and 18, down 3% versus the S&P up 10, meaning it underperformed. In 17, up 14 a lot, but the market was up more. It underperformed. And in 2018, down more than the market. So so-called chronic underperformance, let's move forward. And then what we have now on a more immediate basis is outperformance. So this is one week, three weeks, five weeks, short time frame. Yes, but the point is delta up three versus two, up five versus four, up 14 versus nine, meaning you have day-to-day -day momentum, week-over-week -week momentum with the precondition of chronic underperformance. Uh, that often leads to something quite dynamic and 
just to put the optics in, there is the period in question, and you have this sort of massive, the tripling, of course, of the S&P versus delta. So let's look at some delta charts, and then we can go from there. So many ways to draw the lines, but that's fairly clear. You can call that what you want, but it is a reversal formation, often known as a head and shoulders. It also, if you want it, has this. It could be called a cup and handle, but either way, anyway, it gets resolved quite often like that. Uh, another way to draw the lines, same chart, same time frame, which is a series of higher lows working into the apex, or the top, of this ascending wedge. What often happens here is the same principle. It's a setup for a breakout. You can draw the lines that way anyway. But it is a, it is a very uh, good thing. And then finally, what you all were talking about, which is Dow theory, um, transports in general, we know that all global equities peaked, it still is the case, of course, for the MSA, all country world index, uh, back here in um, January of 2016, especially X the US, and we have this sequence where the transports are not making new highs. Ultimately, that has to get resolved, otherwise, just as Guy said, small cap, banks, <coughs> and other things, this divergence is a problem. Carter, why don't you come on over? Jonah will bring the chair over. We've got a gummy snake for you ready for you at the end of the desk. Oh, I don't like the snakes. You guys, the gummy <laughs> we, we don't have anything else. Sorry, that's what we can offer. That's what we can offer. Um, okay. So either the transports can go up or the Dow can come down. What's your guess? Well, in order for that, uh, my hunch is to be that ultimately resolved. the divergence is. We saw, do you remember when the S&P purportedly broke out in September, October? Mm -hmm. Well, that was a bull trap because what do we know? The financials didn't break out. The industrials didn't break out. The materials never broke out. Energy never broke out. In fact, the New York Stock Exchange composite, there was such classic bifurcation. We have that same circumstance now. We're, quote, making new highs, and yet so many constituents, parts and parcels of the market, and other aggregates, are not making new highs. That's exactly what happens when things aren't quite as good as the headline would suggest, because the headline says all-time highs in the S&P. So this is a bull trap again? Well, it looks just identical to September, okay. October. Um, so for Delta, which I own, so I love everything that came out of your mouth on Beautiful. that. Where, I, where do you think it could go? Do you see breaking through 60? What's sort of the next stop? Right. So we'd come up with 65 as a reasonable price objective, and that doesn't have to be where it stops. But I would say, let's say it's higher to 70. The path to 70 passes through 65. So that would be the point at which I would either write calls or uh, take some measures. So, Carter, just kind of break a tie here, because there's a lot of people talking about, let's go back to the S&P 500 for a second. You had that January 2018 high, then you had last year, and then you just had this oh, most I know recent one. Which direction you're going to break no, the tie. My, my question Sorry, is, keep going. no, no, but some, some people say there's no such thing as a triple top. It doesn't exist in technical analysis. Does it exist, and is it sure, something you're back of times. against? We've looked at that very closely. Uh, there are times in, in individual equities. There are times in currencies, commodities. It doesn't matter whether it's the S&P. Anything that's publicly traded that has a close and an open, there are plenty of triple, quadruple, you can call it, or just stuck in a range, and then rather than bring out, it just fades and, and loses its luster. So let's, Carter, talk about back to your airlines, because you know, it's trading, trading show, trading stocks. Delta, stuck in a range basically since 2015. Right. Um, after, after going from 10 to 50 uh, in the previous three years, is this bullish or not? Very. I mean, for Delta, yeah. right? So if you think about the precondition, that's what you refer to. It's the move from 10 to 50, and then the consolidating. Typically, when a stock is consolidating in a range like that after a strong advance, you can think of it as multiple compression. It's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. It's working into the moment where it finally is too cheap, and it's earnings, which are coming, that often resolve the pattern. Carter, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming by.
Um, what happens really to that snake before. now that Probably Carter's picked there. it up yeah. and tossed it yeah. aside? Yeah. 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 Look at that. All right, coming up. The hottest club on Wall Street. As the soaring unicorns post triple-digit returns since their public debuts, we'll tell you which ones could offer or enter VIP status. Plus, put him in coach because Guy Dami's warming up to pitch one stock he says could be a summer sizzler and it's already up 20% this year. That is after the break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Back in February, Guy stepped up to the plate and pitched Newmont. Take a listen. The stock's been in the bear market. I think it's about to turn. So if the broader market turns lower, I think gold does well. I think if gold does well, Newmont Mining will do well on a bad tape. So it's NEM. And since that call, Newmont Gold Corp, as it's now known after merging with Canadian gold mining company Gold Corp, has rallied 13%. So, Guy, what do you do now? Will always be Newmont Mining to me, number one, Melissa. Uh-huh. Number two, I think gold's in a period of time here over the next couple of weeks. Sideways is slightly lower, but the gold move isn't over. So to answer your question, stay with Newmont Mining, N-E-M. All right. Well, tonight, as you all know, marks a very special occasion for baseball, the Home Run Derby, uh, where eight of the sport's brightest stars will slug it out for a million bucks. Sadly, Guy's not competing tonight, but we thought we'd give him another shot at hitting it out of the park with a special Home Run Derby pitch. So, Guy, you're up yeah. Go over to the plasma. Gonna be a lot of gonna be a lot of taters tonight, Tim, right? Taters. A lot of taters. A lot of big In flies. Cleveland, big a lot flies. of big flies. A lot of people dialing nine. <laughs> and I'd like to dial nine here with my next power pitch. What's it gonna be? It's an energy play. And what's the symbol? Well, it's DVN Devon Energy. Why do you say? I'll give you three reasons. That's typically what we do. Number one, the most sophisticated hedge book maybe in the industry. Why is that important? Well, you've seen the fluctuations in the price of oil over the last 18 months. They're probably taking advantage of it better than any other company out there. Number two, this is a shell play. Basically, the lowest cost production shell play out there, for at least from what I can tell and all the research that I've done. And the last one, improving balance sheet. Improving balance sheet, not a great balance sheet. Still a lot of debt there. However, they have been selling assets, and that balance sheet continues to improve. So for those three reasons, I like the name. Now, the chart has been awful, series of lower lows and lower highs, but it feels as if maybe, and I'm going to show you the chart, maybe we put in a short-term bottom. Uh, This will sort of show you what I'm talking about. Again, lower lows, lower highs, but maybe finally we've sort of put in a little bit of an impasse here. Maybe we're making that turn back up to the 30s. Valuation is really not the reason to own it. But the three reasons I gave and the fact that I think oil's going higher is. Does anybody have questions for Guy? I do. Okay, Tim. Guy, Shell Play, uh, are you worried about actually the, the oversupply that, that may be starting to come out of the U.S., but more importantly, just headline oil prices? How sensitive is this company the to over, You're 100% right. I mean, that is a huge concern. But you have to ask yourself, is it, is it manifested in the, in the way the stock has been trading over the last couple of years? And I would say yes. I think a lot of that has been priced in. I might be wrong. You know, if we sort of go sideways here in oil, the broader market stalls, there's no reason to believe this stock won't have another turn to the downside. I just happen to think benign tape, oil price stabilizes here. I think this is a stock that can go higher. Anybody have another question for Guy? I do. Okay, Karen. Devin, is, would it be in any M&A, either them as buyer or seller, maybe not with that I don't balance think sheet, that's but- a great question. I'm not, my sense is they're not going to make any acquisitions. 
But, you know, is it crazy to think that somebody out there looking for a low-cost shell producer in play? I don't think that Devin's on anybody's radar screen, and I think you don't buy it for that reason, but that could be sort of the cherry on top. That's sort of the, the tail, as we say, in the business. All right, no more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying Guy's pitch on Devon Energy, Tim? I am a reluctant yes. Reluctant um, yes. And, 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 and that is because I actually believe that the company is doing that interest uh, cost expense reduction, about $150 million a year. But guess what? I, I don't think it's going to get a lot better for energy stocks in the medium. Karen? I, I share your reluctance. And, I, you know, I think to, to want to buy Devin, you have to be bullish on oil. And if you're not so bullish on the economy as I That's am a no, not right? so. That's, That's a, a no. That's a no. no. Yeah. I think. Um, this may surprise you, Guy. I am not a buyer. You said a few words that I think are really important there. You said oversupply of shale. And then your question about M&A. From my recent history, what I can kind of get... When oil companies have been merging of late, it's not out of a position of strength. So if we continue to have this massive oversupply of shale, you may see these companies need to merge, and those won't be um, positive, I don't think, for the equities. And obviously, it's very uh, correlated to crude. Crude looks like it's going back to 50. If it goes back to 50, this thing's going back towards 20. All right, Guy. The desk has spoken. Two no's and one reluctant yes. But are you at home buying Guy's pitch for Devon Energy? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. We have no meth entry, but you can just do no. Plus, the Fed, the, the market is red hot with a handful of names of IPOs, of more than doubling from the public debuts. Were any of these names at risk of getting kicked out of the 100 club? More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The IPO gold rush as the companies making their public debuts have made quite the splash this year. So we thought it was time to recognize the top performers by inducting them into the 100 club for stocks that have already doubled since their IPO. So let's head to the lounge. We've got Beyond Meat, the big winner of 500 percent. Zoom Video also soaring. Online fashion retailer Revolve Group. And as of today, CrowdStrike joining the very elite group. So are these stocks still a hot trade or are they too hot to handle? Tim. Um, I think some are too hot, some are not. I, I kind of like CrowdStrike here. I mean, I look at their, their customer base is, is, you know, 63% Fortune 100 companies. They have recurring revenue streams. It's a company that in the security space right now, I think companies are throwing as much money at the problem as they can for fear of just, you know, corporate fiduciary responsibility. So I, I kind of like the story. And right now they stand alone out there in terms of publicly traded options outside of Cisco, which I think is the best name. Yeah, you know, I throw Zoom. I, I, you honestly could have said almost the exact same stuff about Zoom. And I think Zoom is a company that probably benefits from being in the public markets. More CTOs at corporations get to see, oh, you know, they, they start hearing about these companies. They did their whole roadshow via Zoom. Yeah. They, they did yeah. their whole road. Right. And, and the company's basically profitable. They're still growing sales pretty dramatic, like 30% plus sort of thing. And I think it's a very nascent market for the, what they're going after. So to me, I'm not saying that, you know, this is a $24 billion market cap. I'm not saying you have to rush in to buy it here. But it's down from like 105 down to 90 and if the market were to take off these names are going to go ballistic again they're going to have another leg yeah well they're kind of ballistic all right i mean i agree with tim crowdstrike is sort of interesting to me um you know obviously losing money but they're the rate of that loss you know they're becoming more profitable for each marginal dollar that's sort of interesting something like beyond meat I just, it's hard to, there's something, obviously the valuation's gotten crazy, but the dynamic of how little share, how few shares there are 
it just makes it untouchable. Yeah. Sometimes we wear hats. So can I put my tr- well, the trader hat is like what we typically hats? wear. No, like we the hats. Never wear hats. Like the baseball hats okay. I wear on the weekend. A fedora, oh, maybe? Yes. Would you wear? Fedora. Would you, no. would you wear a fedora, guy? You know what? I probably back in the day. Fedora. I think back hats with the earflaps. He used to wear a fedora. Anyway, so what hat are you? So if you have your trader's cap. Oh, okay. And you have a stock that's doubled. And you say to yourself, you know, if I sell half my position here. You're in the rest of it for free. That's just math. Like, that's sure. an SAT thing. Yeah. So my advice would be trade the stock. Don't let the stock trade you, Melissa. You like that? No well, matter what the stock is, there's no now stock that's there my, that you That's say. my trader cap. Okay. And you have a double, get out of half. Then trade around it. You're in it for free. Here's a couple more trader caps or fedoras or whatever guy wore in the 50s, as Dan said. That's Dan's joke. <laughs> um, I think, first of all, what a lot of people are afraid to do is let their winners run uh, and be long-term greedy. And that's just something to think about. I realize with high multiple stocks that are new to the game, it's tough to, uh, to, to really know where that is. The other side of all this is a market's context for all these stocks. All-time highs, money is free. You're going to see these things do well. In a different market environment, get out of the way. Uh, it's just the way it's going to be. All right. Coming up, the Pepsi Challenge, the beverage giant doubling the performance of rival Coke this year. One trader says there's a clear winner in this soda war. We've got the details. Plus, let's get to a check on our Kramer cam. There's Jim talking about uh, Constellation, talking to the CEO about its stake in Canopy after the Bruce Linton drama last week. That full interview is at the top of the hour. We are live at the Nasdaq in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a sweet year for Pepsi. The sugar water stock, as Dan calls it, (laughs) uh, up uh, more than 20 percent, double digits this year. More than double its arch rival Coca-Cola, which just hit a fresh all-time high today. And as Pepsi gears up to report earnings before the bell tomorrow, options traders are making bets on whether the stock can stay on top of the pop trade. Dan's over at the Plasma with the options action. Dan. Yeah, so Mel, like you said, you know, Pepsi's been on fire. It's up about 20 percent this year. They report their Q2 tomorrow before the opening. The options market is only implying about a 2% move um, in either direction, and that is shy of its 3% average one-day move over the last four quarters. There was one trade that caught my eye, the largest trade of the day in the name. It was a short-dated uh, call buyer, uh, actually a call spread when the stock was 132.18. There was a buyer that July 12th, this Friday expiration, 135, 137 call spread, paying 37 cents for that. That breaks even up at 135.37. Trader can make up to 163 if the stock is 137 or higher. So that would mean new highs in Pepsi, and it would be, I mean, really a breakout for all intents and purposes. Let's go to the charts real quickly. This is what's really interesting. Talking about Carter with that kind of long base, this thing was in a very long base since the start of 2018. Earlier this year in April, it broke out to new highs. It's been holding this uptrend that's been in place since late December. Pretty constructive, but obviously there's some room back to uh, 120 or so on a miss and a guide down. But let's go to the 10-year chart of this thing since the financial crisis lows. When you look at this, how order this uptrend has been the whole time. There's only been a couple tests of it. One of those came in December, and then this thing had just rocketed up, broke out to a new highs, off to the races. But here's the thing. This is a company that the stock is trading kind of expensive. I know it's got nearly a 3% dividend yield, but it's got expected to actually have an EPS decline year over year this year with low single digits um, sales growth. So it's kind of priced to for perfection. This will be a really interesting early gauge for a lot of these defensive names, um, how they report and how the stock reacts tomorrow. All right, so let's play a little Would You Rather here. That's an obvious one, right? So, Tim, I go to you since you've actually invested in in the sugar water sector. Yeah, I mean, I incurred Dan's wrath and he elicited the 
sugar water phrase last week uh, about Coca-Cola, which which uh, the valuation, by the way, is a lot closer to its long term historical average than Pepsi's. Pepsi trades uh, 24 times next 12 months. Um, Coke is cheaper than that. Coke is underperformed. I, I would rather own Coke here um, just based upon I-, I think there's more momentum for the brand. Guy. See, I would take the, the opposite side, and that's what makes markets. I mean, Pepsi has beaten, I think, EPS 18 in the last 20 quarters or something, revenue 16 in the last 20 quarters, sets up well in the earnings. Valuations are about the same. Let's not split hairs here. But I think Pepsi has a more diverse brand with Fritos, which I happen to like, by the way. Fritos itself, as opposed to some of the other products in what the do you Frito, do about Frito portfolio. Breath? What do you do about Frito Pardon me? Frito breath. I eat them in, by myself when I'm watching <laughs> a ball game. Tim. Maybe that you, you're by yourself for a reason. Of course. Yeah. You eat Fritos. Frito breath. Yeah. Uh, only one way to settle this. So, Dan, it's time for you to take a little Pepsi challenge. Right. So, we've got two glasses, a glass of Pepsi and a glass of Coke with ice because you demanded ice. Uh, so, why don't you take a sip and tell us. Yeah, very refined palate here. This is going to be easy. Should be. I already, already know what that garbage is. This is Coca-Cola right here, ladies wow. and gentlemen. Wow. It's that simple. That's but I want to make one really good point. I did not. Coca-Cola's not sugar water. I did not start the sugar water thing. Steve no, Jobs, yeah, the late Steve great Jobs. Steve Jobs, when he recruited John Scully from Pepsi in the 80s to become the CEO, he said, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life or do you want to change the world? I'll make a dent in the universe. Change, oh, sorry. All right, sorry. whatever. You could be... All right, same, have same. a Coke and a smile, people. This one's good. <laughs> Karen, do you have a preference, Coke over Pepsi? I oh. agree with everything Guy said, which is the opposite yeah. of what Tim said, with the exception of the Frito-Lay thing. I don't oh. really you care the for it. But eating them. Yeah. McDonald's Burger King. Momentum. Oh, McDonald's Burger King. Yeah. Burger King. Stones or the who? Oh, oh, this can go on forever and ever. <laughs> for more options action, check Zapp out our full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. <laughs> Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, you know what guy, Dami, will be listening to as he watches tonight's home run derby. Cue the Tony Braxton. Sorry to break your heart, guy. More than 70, more than 70% of our viewers said they are not buying your pitch for Devin Energy. It was just a slaughter. (laughs) Look at the glee. You're so happy. It's not glee. It's just amusement. Even after your last one was so good. (laughs) Final trade time. Tim Seymour. Well, if you look at Macy's, you could get, take some glee from a 7% dividend yield for a company that I still think is getting their act slowly right, even with secular headwinds, Macy's. Karen? Yes. You know, I'm not usually a trader, but I think Boeing today was interesting. Obviously, bad news down, uh, that they, they uh, is it fly a deal, I think, changed to the Airbus. But the stock wasn't down that much on it. I think it's bottomed out. Dan. Yeah, I think Pepsi will be a really interesting name tomorrow to see how it reacts to that dollar that's got stronger again, all these issues that we have macro-wise. So I think you sell the XLP if this thing can't round. Guy. If I'm a Med fan, which I'm not, I'm worried about Pete Alonzo tonight, throwing that out there. And Devin DBN. Come on, man. What? Peeps. That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.